Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Hey guys, welcome back to the Adam Nation podcast. Now, I have to pinch myself. It, this podcast has been running for about a year and a half now. We've done 87 episodes which have been published, a few more in the back catalogue and some great guests coming up. But out of those 87 published episodes, the top two by a country mile so far have been the result of speaking to our returning guest who's about to join us for the third time. It's an absolute privilege to be joined again by Christian Fibbledome. So his episodes were 65 and 75. Definitely go check them out. The topic has been and continues to be neurotyping. He describes five specific neurotypes that we all end up falling into, depending on the dominant neurotransmitters in our body. And that can determine how we perform in the gym, the kind of food we should eat, how we show up physically, emotionally, and psychologically. Now, 65 and 75 were great episodes. Today's episode is going to be around supplementation strategies for your neurotype. Or in particular, really how to learn how to excite your neurochemistry to enable you to perform well in the gym and in life, as well as how to inhibit your neurotransmitters, calm your brain down, and allow yourself the time to rest and recover. Really fascinating discussion. We get into... We get into some technical stuff as always. We also get into a lot of fantastic wisdom that Christian just kind of leeches out through every word. It is truly an education every time I speak to this guy. Now, we're going to cover quite a lot. I'd actually encourage you to check out the show notes because I've done a pretty good job of calling out the key aspects of our discussion. We get started by, you know, just a bit of pre-class conversation, talking a bit about the gym a bit about um, Christian's favorite bars and just an update of his family and stuff. We then get into the meat of the discussion, which is those supplementation strategies that Christian swears by. How to inhibit your neurotransmitters when you need to calm down. How to excite your neurotransmitters and your neurochemistry when you've got to go, whether it's performing in life or in the gym. And that takes up a lot of the discussion, but there are so many other pieces of wisdom loaded throughout the discussion, such as is it better to take isolated supplements or the whole food equivalents? Time and strategies for your supplements based on optimal performance. The significance of sleep. We talk about casein. We talk about taking days off of your supplementation. We talk about periodizing your supplementation for priming days. I asked the question, can you change your neurotype through supplementation? We talked through the keto diet and how you need to supplement to support that if you're a certain neurotype and so much more. Omega-3s, taurine, ZMAs, B6, tyrosine, acetylcholine, so much is discussed. So if you're that kind of person that wants to take it to the next level, that you're eating well, you're training well, doing your best to get good sleep and recovery, you now want to amplify your results with smart, intelligent supplementation based on your neurotype, then this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoy it. And hey, as always, if you've got any questions, comments, if you want to engage in this discussion, get through to us on the Adaptation Facebook page. <laughs> 
Enjoy. So Christian, welcome back, man. I, I am so, so chuffed that we've got the opportunity and you're gracious with your time for us to explore this neurotyping stuff because it it blows my mind and the responses back from the people that I know and just people connecting in via Facebook and Instagram has been fantastic. But before we get into the detail, Christian, look, you've last time we spoke, you were getting on a plane shortly afterwards with Jaden and your wife, and you were going to start traveling the world or at least going to Sydney and Melbourne. Talk to me about it, man. How was the, the trip with the family? Well, my trip was horrible. <laughs> uh, Jaden's trip was good. I mean, he was awesome on the plane. Because he slept pretty much all the way through. And for the, like two hours out of 18 that he was awake, uh, he was basically eating on every stewardess in the airplane. <laughs> so he's got mad skills that I don't have. I, I don't know where he's taking that from. Uh, my own trip was really hard uh, from a teaching perspective. Uh, normally because, well, well, your listeners know how emotional I get when I present, right? Well, so when, I, when I speak on a podcast, I really get amped up. When, when I give a seminar, it's multiplied by 10 because of the adrenaline. So after two days of teaching, I'm done. Literally, I need like a week to recover. But on this trip, I was teaching four days in a row. Then had two days off, then taught two more day, uh, four more days in a row. So right from the start, that would have been super hard. On top of that, I had to do promotional videos during lunch break and in the mornings. So it was like super long days. But the kicker was that on my last day in Melbourne, I got uh, food poisoning, yeah. which is the last thing you want prior to a 20-hour flight. Uh, lucky for me, it was the day before. So I was like super sick for a day, but on the plane, I was fine. I, I didn't eat anything. So I was super weak. Uh, but, but at least I didn't throw up on the, the, the nice lady next to me. <laughs> but uh, so that, that's what my, my, my trip was like, but the rest was, was, was pretty awesome. I mean, we, we found that Jaden is like, he's literally like the perfect baby. I mean, he, he almost never, never complains unless he's hungry, which is like his mother. Um, he, he, uh, he's like great motor coordination. He learns quickly. He's always smiling. He loves people. Uh, we recently, uh, left my, my parents when my wife and I went to a concert out of town and there was no problem. So just fingers crossed so far. So good. The only thing is that he hasn't yet recovered. Even if it's been like a month, it's like, it, it kind of messed up his circadian rhythm and, and before the trip, he was sleeping all the way through the night. Now he wakes up at like 3 a.m., just have some milk, and then he, he goes back to sleep until 6, which he didn't do before. It's not a big problem, but but it, that's the only downside of the trip so far. And I've seen he's, he's driving around in some mad red motor of sorts. Yeah, he, what's he what's has that? A Ferrari. a Ferrari, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, we, we, my my wife just saw that on, on social media. It's a kid Ferrari. It's like for kids who are three to five years old, right? But but I, I'm an impulse buyer, so I bought the car, and we just strapped Jaden on the seat on the seat, <laughs> and it, it's remote controlled, so we can actually drive him around. And that looks amazing. Why well, have you seen the video where he's walking on his hands? I haven't. No. Yeah, yeah, I have a video. Uh, I'm basically holding him by, by by the feet, upside down, and he just he just walks on his hands. 
Well, so that's what I'm saying. I just good more. He's, he's a crossfitter in the making. <laughs> yeah, I would rather see him like an Olympic gymnast. Yeah. But you know, crossfit games, you can make a good living from that. Oh, that is fantastic. That's fantastic, man. Um, and last kind of question, curiosity. Since the last time we spoke, I know you was in the in the build out of your home gym, and we spoke about that yeah. briefly. How's that yeah. getting on? Is that now fully equipped out? Yeah, the, the equipment, I would say it's like 95% complete because I will always add more stuff in. I'm not a machine guy. I'm a free weight person, but I love gadgets. Like I love training bars. I, I have like 12 different training bars in my own gym, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to reach the, the 20 mark before the end of the year. I just love training on different bars. I'm a big basic kind of guy. My, my, I've come from football and Olympic weightlifting, so the big barbell lifts have always been my favorite. Uh, but I do need variation. I don't like changing the movements, but I like to change the way I perform the mm. movement. So either changing the tempo, using different training methods, uh, or changing the bars, adding chains, adding bands. That, that's where I get my, my variation, not in changing the exercises themselves. So it's been great, especially since uh, I need to get in like photo shoot uh, shape in, in eight weeks from now. So I'm doing two a day's workouts, which is made much easier when you have a gym at home, uh, as you well know. Uh, so I can, I can train in the morning and when uh, the baby's sleeping, I can do a, a second workout. So I'm going to get in shape much faster that way. I also began uh, dragging the sled across the neighborhood, which is kind of funny because <laughs> And I'm, I have this like, uh, the, you know, you know, the weight sled, the sled that can you just, you can put weight on and you just yeah. pull that. So instead, I, I hate cardio, but I, I kind of need it to get super lean. So what I do is just I strap uh, that 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 uh, that sled around my waist, uh, and I, I just walk for an hour with with like 20 to 40 kilos, depending. And it's funny because, of course, it, it, when it's super sunny, I have to do it shirtless because I don't want a farmer stand. So it, 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 I catch the the eye of the neighborhood. I, I have established my um, alpha state in the neighborhood. Let's just say that. Yeah, you definitely have walking around with uh, something strapped to your top off. I, train in a hoodie. I, I, I don't even train in a t-shirt. I don't like to show off. But but it's so hot and humid here. I don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also saw that you. Um, I think you you made some um, claim to kind of build up your posterior chain and work mm. back your your kind of squat numbers because i think you said it, you've, you've hit 500 at a pretty low body weight you want to get to 600 which is a pretty decent squat is is that is that a real real kind of goal for you at the moment yeah it is well the logic is my, my, my mindset is that and that was before i had to do the photo shoot because i recently learned about the photo shoots and i switched more to a body composition goals right. but prior to that i was i was more, was more about strength and when I was an Olympic weightlifter, my best eye bar back squat was 600, like uh, 272 kilos. And uh, my best front squat was 220. Wow. Uh, so because of a shoulder injury, uh, I don't even know what it is. It's been six years. I've never I did look over. I'm kind of weird that I don't like. I have access to all the best specialists. I just don't use them. Anyway, so I can't press heavy anymore. There's some inhibition. Even though the muscle mass is there, I just can't use it properly. And the bench press used to be my favorite lift because I was pretty strong at it. And I know that I can't be strong in bench pressing anymore. So I said, well, I have zero problem with my low back, with my hips, with my knees. So I can still squat pretty heavy. So I, I want to get back up to my, my best lift, which was 600. I don't think I can get higher than that because, well, I was like 27 and now I'm 42. I can still get strong. 
but I don't see myself surpassing what I was doing when I was a full-time Olympic weightlifter with no family, yeah. uh, with no life stress. But I know more than I knew back then. So I, I'm pretty sure I can back up. I can get back up to that pretty quickly. And I, I've squatted over 500 several times over the past few years. So that's not a problem. Just getting that uh, extra like 20, 30 kilos might be the hardest part. But uh, so that was my goal before the photo shoot came around. So now I, my, my mind worked that way is that when I have a goal, I, I will devote everything to that goal and everything that doesn't help me reach that goal becomes instantly boring to me. Like when I'm training for strength, you wouldn't pay me to do a bicep curl. When I'm training for a photo shoot, I want to do bicep curls every day and you wouldn't pay me to do squats. So it's, that, that's kind of how my brain works. Luckily, that's, that's a fantastic way for your brain to work, right? That kind of myopic focus on a yeah. singular goal. At least you can get that goal achieved versus having loads of goals and flip-flopping between everything. I, I think that works. And uh, you, you mentioned something a second ago. It's my last question before we get on to the meat of the subject, which is the amount of bars you have. So you know I've got a home gym and you know, it's reasonably kitted out. I've got, I've got everything that I need so far. Just bought myself a leg press because I kind of just wanted a bit more devoted attention to my quads because as much as as much as I do all my squats, my lunges and all my kind of different ways of doing that, I just feel that it's too full body and I want to mm -hmm. isolate my quads and get them up a little bit more. Now, that was the sidebar. The, do you the have long legs? Say that again? Do you have long legs relative to your torso? Uh, I think my femurs are reasonably long in comparison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you would you would actually need the leg press or a hack squat machine to maximize squat. I have steps. both now. Yeah, yeah. So, that, <laughs> so that's jumping on that. So me myself, I don't need it because I have like super short leg and long tibias. So I can just do back squat and my quads just blow up. But the posterior chain is a problem. Yeah, yeah. It depends yeah. on your on your levers. Yeah, but there you go. That that's a, the, the 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 subject for our next podcast: how to change exercise selection based on body type. Boom. Boom. Love but, formation there. But, but drop me just one one point because uh, I'm curious for my next purchase. Yeah. You said how many bars you've got. I, yeah. I've got I've got a hex bar squat. Uh, sorry, hex hex bar, and um, I've just got a couple of just straight bars of different thicknesses. If mm -hmm. I had to buy one more bar, considering you've got ten, it's probably hard to choose. But <laughs> what of those the bars that you have, the accessory bars? You feel wow, this is this is a great addition to just normal barbell work. Well, I, I'll tell you the my, my own personal. Of course, it depends on why you, you you're purchasing a bar, right? Uh, like for me, the, the, the my, my favorite bar uh, is the, the the transformer bar by Chris Duffin. Chris Duffin is a powerlifter. Uh, he actually deadlifted a thousand pounds for two reps uh, with straps, but that's still like humongous weights. For he squatted over eight hundred pounds for thirty days straight. Wow. just to raise money for children. He's, a, he's an awesome person. He, just, he actually is coming out with a book because his life story is actually amazing. If you want to have a great person on your podcast with an amazing life story, Chris Duffin is it. The guy basically like oh, got an engineering degree without going to college, basically. You know, he, he's just an awesome person. Anyway, he, he has this bar. Uh, he calls it the transformer bar. It's, a, it's, a, it's essentially a, a safety squad bar. Safety squat mm -hmm. bar, you know, it's a, the, the kind of bar with the, the horse collar that you put around your neck when squatting. Uh, the main difference with this bar versus regular safety squat bar is that you can actually change the angle of the weights. So you can put the weights more forward, more backwards. Oh. So that completely changes the, the focus. So if you want to work more posterior chain, uh, you're going to put 
uh, the, the, the weight more backwards. I mean, doing uh, good morning like that is crazy. If you really want to hit your, your core, you put the weights more forward. It's the hardest abs workout I've ever done. And of course, if, if me, I have shoulder injuries, shoulder problems. So uh, you, you don't have to stretch those shoulders to get under the bar. So squatting is very comfortable. And, uh, and that next benefit is um, also found in regular safety squat bar is that because the bar is placed higher up, even higher than when you do a high bar squat, uh, it, your torso is staying more upright, which hits the quadriceps more. So it, it's, it's a better tool for people who have a hard time activating their quads or people who have shoulder issues and just the, the versatility of changing the position of the load makes that bar uh, basically tw like 20 different bars. So it's awesome for that. Wow. It also produces the, the duffel bar, which is uh, like a regular barbell, but it, it's in a curve, like it's a, uh, like an arc. So the, uh, the, the middle is like higher up than the end, kind of like, like, like a camber bar. So when you're bench pressing, for example, you're going to have about two inches more of range of motion. So that allows you to hit the pectorals a lot more. And for squatting, it's also much easier to get the bar in a lower bar back squat without stressing the shoulders. So these are our two bars I really like. I also have uh, the earthquake bar, which is a bar made of uh, like uh, oak tree and plastic mix. So the bar is extremely light, like five, less than five kilos, and you hang weight with, with, uh, with resistance bands instead of putting plates on. The way it works is that since the bar is so light, okay, movement follows the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. So if it's easier for movement to move the bar rather than the weight, it's the bar that's going to move. So we have the weight hanging down, and the bar is up, and both are connected with the resistance band. Now, the weights will be much, much, much heavier than the bar. So they are actually anchored down. The weight, as you try to move forward, backward, the weights won't shift, but the bar shifts. The result is that the bar is extraordinarily unstable. So it, 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 for, for activating the shoulders, for working on hip stabilization, I use it to work on proper bar path. I often do supersets where I combine what I call stability supersets. So I, I start with the most unstable exercise, let's say a shoulder press with the, the earthquake bar, which is very unstable. Then I will do a, a second most unstable, so dumbbell shoulder press. And then I will finish with the most stable one, either a machine shoulder press or a Smith machine shoulder press. So you, as you get more fatigue, you decrease the need to stabilize the load, but you can still continue putting more stress on the muscle fibers. That's absolutely awesome. And the instability, I, okay, don't get me wrong. Okay, unstable training is inferior to build strength. It's inferior to build muscle mass. What it is good for, it increases the sensitivity of the neuromuscular junction, so you can recruit those muscle fibers more easily. So when you do that before you do the regular lifting exercise, the muscle fiber recruitment would be much better. So it makes the any lifting you do after that more effective. So mm -hmm. you use that you use it as an activation tool at the beginning of your workout, for example. So these would be my my three best bars. Uh, well, you just dropped so much knowledge on me just there. One, I'm going to be googling straight after this, and two. I, I do instability work, but not not the kind of instability work you're talking about, more kind of dumbbell stuff. But I typically yeah. do those after a big lift. And I think that's probably why it's just because I fatigue myself. But maybe there's some really light 
unstable work I can do ahead of ahead of um, doing a heavy lift, maybe just to recruit. I do like rotator cuff work and stuff like that, mm. just to kind of warm stuff up. But yeah, I love that idea. I'm going to have to play with that. It's just to activate. I even do it with, with lateral raises, for example. You take uh, like a five kilo plate and you loop a resistance band in the hole and you do lateral raises with that and you try to go up fast so the the weight is actually slingshot upwards. Yep. Then you hold the top position while the weight's dropping down, and it will bounce up and down, up and down. You try, you try to stay that, keep that position for three seconds. That just works great on stabilization and the activation of those muscles because it will create both the bands and the, the, the earthquake bar I mentioned earlier. It's also called the tsunami bar. There are many different ones. Uh, they all do the same thing. Uh, they create an effect called micro-oscillation, a very small like change of direction, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, up and down, up and down. Very, very rapid, but very small. And the only way the body can compensate for that very quick change of direction is to increase the activation of the fast switch fibers because the slow twitch fibers won't produce force fast enough to be able to compensate for that that change in that direction so it trains the nervous system to recruit the fast switch fibers better i wouldn't use that as i mentioned to increase strength or even build muscle it's really with the sole purpose of muscle activation and working on joint stabilization love it love it Wow. Well, we could stop there and that would be yeah. enough. But we're now going <laughs> to get into the meat of the discussion, Christian. So mm -hmm. uh, give me the mic for just a couple of minutes. I'm just going to set the scene for uh, the listeners. So we have spoken twice already on the Adaptation podcast. Uh, the episodes are 65 and 75. So part one was focused really on a kind of deeper introduction into neurotyping, you know, the characteristics of each. We spent a lot of time talking about the neurotransmitters at play. And we spoke in part about some of the training preferences you're going to have as a result of your neurotype. That obviously wasn't enough. So then we got into part two, which was more focused around nutrition. So we, we dug deeper into the clarification of the profiles. We dug deeper into the biochemistry and some of the the kind of pathways and uh, metabolism of, of various chemicals, which I found super fascinating. And then we spoke uh, about how to manage your neurotype according, accordingly with your diet. Uh, we spoke on some, new, some training stuff too, but we both agreed that what was missing and what probably requires a little bit more biochemistry discussion is the supplementation. So today, that guys, that's what we're going to be doing. The focus is on supplementation strategies to either support, optimize, or even manage the downsides of your neurotype, assuming, of course, you've got the first pillars down pat, which is diet um, and exercise. Now, just a couple of a couple of thoughts here before we get started. Um, this is my own perspective on supplementation. First of all, I think supplementation should be layered on top of doing everything else right in your diet. Um, I think we're too quick to launch into supplementation. I don't think it's always necessary. Either we're spending money, maybe we're supplementing with the wrong thing or, or low quality thing. It might not be of any value. It could be of detriment. So I think first and foremost, let's focus on the diet. Secondly, I think an optimized diet should account for the super majority of your nutritional requirements to live well and perform well. However, if you want to completely dial in, in the gym, performance, bodybuilding, just living on the edge of performance and capability, 
I do absolutely see a place for natural performance enhancement strategies using supplementation. And then lastly, and again, maybe you can key off of this, uh, Christian, if you have any genetic DNA mutations, any SNPs, or malabsorption issues, or enzyme production issues, I think there are definitely cases where you know, RDAs don't even touch, it don't even scratch the surface for some people, and you need to go super dosing on certain vitamins, minerals, or other such things in order to achieve the same objective others can do on much lower doses. So there is a genetic bio, um, bio-individuality piece here as well that I think we need to acknowledge. There were only my kind of cautions before we get started on this, um, Christian. Is there anything that I said there that you disagree with or you want to key off of? No, it, it, 100%. I mean, and one one more thing I would add is that, like, of course, not all of you listeners are, are coaches. Some people are listening just to improve themselves. But but for the coaches listening, and okay, as a coach, you should never prescribe supplements to clients. Uh, you can you can you can talk about supplements. You can make recommendation, but you cannot tell your clients take this, take that. I know a lot of coaches do that. But you are opening up yourself for liability when that happens. So you, you can counsel people on, on, okay, this supplement does that. So it might help with your condition. But it's up to you to make the decision. You, you should not take the decision for your client. That, that can put you in the wrong place because supplements, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes so depending on the, on the quality of the supplement, the quality of the company, sometimes you might have uh, like tainted supplements that, that have, uh, products that uh, that can cause an adverse reaction in somebody. That person can have an underlying issue that they don't know about and have a uh, bad reaction with a supplement. So that's something you should definitely be aware of when you're talking about supplements. And you must be open with your clients about that. There's always a risk. Now, of course, supplements are not drugs. So there's a much lower risk than taking drugs. But no supplement, even though they're natural uh, or sold as natural, is completely safe. After all, Cocaine is natural. Marijuana is natural. Doesn't mean they don't have any side effects. Okay, uh, so you can say, well, you know, tribulus is a plant. Yeah, but cocaine is a plant also. So, so the, just because it's sold freely in the supplement store doesn't mean that there is no potential for harm. So you need to be taking that into consideration. And just like you, I'm not a huge supplement guy. Now, mm-hmm. I don't myself use a lot of supplements. I, I'm a big believer, as you mentioned, in using natural food to get most of the job done. I use supplements when I need to accomplish a certain goal, a certain effect. For example, if I have a hard time shutting my brain down in the evening and I can't rest well because of that, then I can supplement with uh, different protocols that will help me shut my brain down at night which is much better than taking sleeping pills because sleeping pills oftentimes are the, the, the pharmaceutical ones. They prevent you from going into the REM sleep, which is the deep sleep that you need to recover, whereas a more natural approach will only will not put you to sleep. It will calm the nervous system down, allowing you to more easily reach that sleeping state. So I prefer that over uh, over others, uh, other pharmaceutical health. And of course, this is just one example. If you have high blood pressure, you can go with certain supplements. If you have a hard time getting your brain amped up, there are certain, certain supplements, non-stimulant ones that can help you get there. So it's really if you need to fix a specific problem that cannot be fixed with nutrition that I personally look into uh, supplementation. 
Yeah, and I, I agree as well. And I also think there's that there's some compounds or or some things that you know we know we can't get enough of generally. Maybe like omega threes, for example. Yeah. We know we get too much omega six in standard diets. You know, I, I supplement with that because I see only upside, and I know I don't get enough of it. So there's there's some kind of safe bets, but when it comes to performance enhancement, I think we mm-hmm. just really need to really need to think about the construction of the diet and the, and really be mindful of the reaction that we have. But I know we'll get into that. So, Christian. Way, just, just one point on. regarding the omega trees. You can actually get too much of it. And, you, and if it's not timed properly, it can actually interfere with, with, with muscle mass gains. Actually, some studies have shown that. Uh, and it's the same with any type of anti-inflammatory product. Uh, like they, they did studies on NSAID, like uh, like pharmaceutical uh, anti-inflammatory things. Yeah, yeah, and, and they 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 seen that when you take those around the workout, either pre prior to the workout or right after the workout, it actually interferes with the muscle building, muscle muscle repair process. The reason is that the initial inflammatory response from training is actually part of the trigger that will start protein synthesis, muscle growth. So if you inhibit that inflammatory process in the first place, you take away a large signaling process that will trigger hypertrophy. And omega-3s, by being so good at reducing inflammation, they can actually do the same thing if you take them around the workout. So so omega-3s are extremely valuable. I mean, they, they, they help with so many things but they should not be consumed in the window around the workout. It should better be kept for either at least four or five hours prior to the workout or five or six hours after the workout if you want to avoid uh, them like decreasing that initial inflammatory response that will trigger muscle growth. That, that's just one, one little uh, snippet. That is, that is actually a great point. I, I saw um, Andy Galpin and I think others talk about you know, the use of antioxidants, which, you know, they, they in effect, they're pro-oxidants, but drive an mm-hmm. antioxidant response. And perhaps yeah. too much of those, especially if you're focused on bodybuilding, stuff like that, mm-hmm. could could have an inhibitory effect on muscle development. So I, I heard that, but funnily enough, I take my omega freeze before I work out. So there we go. There's, there's a strategy there. And by the way, when I said I, I don't think you can have too much, I think I'm, t- I'm talking in the context of what 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 people reasonably supplement yeah. with, like a teaspoon, you know, a day. I mean, I know that isn't too much. I probably could have much more and still have no ill effect. But I, thank you for clarifying that point because yeah. I think the poison is in the dose, right? That's that's a really Absolutely. good point. Okay, so where do you want to start with this, Christian? I, I you know, in my mind. Uh, you know, we, we want to give some value to each and every individual, uh, you know, mm-hmm. spread across the five neurotypes. Yeah. Uh, I know this can, we can go down lots of rabbit holes. I'll try and avoid us going down too many of them, at least through my questioning. But how do you want to structure the guidance to, to give people some clear strategies on supplementation on top of good dieting well, to optimize, uh, support, or even manage the downsides of their neurotype? Well, I'm going to keep it like very simple. Instead of talking about neurotypes, because uh, yes, it's important, but uh, in reality, not everybody knows their type. So they might just get, they might love the knowledge, but get frustrated because they, they can't apply it properly. Mm-hmm. So we might get into that later, but I, I want to talk about two things, either neurological activation 
and neurological inhibition. Because depending on your neurotype, you either want to get more amped up or more, or more calmed down, depending on what you want to do with your brain. But it's still applicable to everybody. I mean, if you have a hard time getting amped up in the morning, you don't have any energy, you need like five coffees to get started, when you might need a strategy just to increase neurological efficiency, neurological activation. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're someone who's overly stressed out, someone who, who can't sleep if they train like in the afternoon, someone who goes to bed at night and they just think and think and think and just can't shut their brain down, that will definitely hurt with your gains. So that's the first thing I want to cover. I want to talk about the supplements that, that can be used to get your brain more activated, that will help you perform, and the supplement that can help the brain shut down, in, become inhibited allowing you to rest and recover, which will also help you progress from your session. Because a session is, of course, only the stimulus. You need the recovery period to grow muscle, repair muscle, also get healthier and improve body function. The recovery is super important. It's a cycle, fight, fight or flight, then rest and recover. And rest and recover mode is mostly about calming the brain down. When you're training, the faster you can bring your brain back down to normal levels, the more gains you're going to have, the better you're going to feel the next day. I'm pretty sure that many of your listeners can relate to what I'm going to be saying. You have a very tough workout, very heavy weights or lots of sets of pretty heavy weights. And the next day, you feel almost like after you went drinking, like you have no motivation, you almost feel sick. Uh, you feel lazy, you don't want to train. Uh, Paul Carter calls that the workout hangover. And that is really because you are desensitizing the adrenergic receptors. Essentially, you made your brain non-responsive to your own adrenaline. So you can't get amped up, you can't get motivated. That happens when you have a very hard session and your brain will get amped up for that session. The heavier you go, the more force you need to produce, the more explosive you get, the more your brain gets amped up. And you want that because if your brain doesn't get amped up during your session, you can perform. The problem is that if your brain stays amped up for hours after your session, you risk having that workout hangover I just mentioned. And here's what happens. And we often call it CNS fatigue. I mean, you, you, you've heard that, like mm -hmm. I, um, central nervous system fatigue, nervous fatigue. What it really is, is that your, your adrenergic receptors, especially the beta adrenergic receptors, those that respond to adrenaline, they become desensitized. I'm going to explain exactly what happens. See, the, the adrenergic system, your adrenaline system, is not meant to be the fuel you run for hours with with your car. It's like the NOS in your car. You use the adrenergic system, the adrenaline system, for a short time boost. I need to fight a tiger, otherwise I die. I need to run away from a tiger, otherwise I get eaten. So that's for like 30, 45, 60 minutes, about a very high intensity work. But after that, it's supposed to come back down. It's not a system that is designed to work over the long run because for your health, overactivating the adrenaline system is really bad because it increases blood pressure, increases the stress on the cardiovascular system, and also causes a problem with um, 
with increasing blood sugar and stuff like that. So it's not something you want over the long run. And the body knows that and it would protect itself. So when it feels that the adrenaline receptors or, or adrenergic receptors are getting stimulated for too long or too hard to protect your body against everything bad that can happen, the receptors will decrease their sensitivity. And contrary to the insulin receptors, which takes a long time to become resistant to insulin, the adrenergic receptors can become desensitized in as little as one day, okay? Uh, if you get over-amped up, if your, your, your adrenaline stays high for six, eight, ten hours, the next day, your receptors will be desensitized. It's a protective mechanism. If you abuse stimulants, like uh, ephedrine or, or the drug clenbuterol or people who use speeds or even other like amphetamines, the adrenergic receptors will become desensitized instantly. The next day, they don't respond to your own adrenaline. So you're lazy. You can't get started. You have a headache. You can't focus. You can't concentrate. You procrastinate. Just because even if you are producing adrenaline, your body doesn't respond to it. So when you're training, you get your, your, your nervous system amped up. You release cortisol. And when you release cortisol, you also release adrenaline. Cortisol stimulates the release of adrenaline. And that gets you started in that high-performance path by increasing neurological activation. But if it stays amped up for hours after the session, you keep producing cortisol, you keep producing adrenaline, and adrenaline keeps being connected to the adrenergic receptors. And as I just mentioned, if that happens for too long, you will desensitize them. If, on the other hand, you can shut down your brain, inhibit your brain, bring it back down to normal level of activation right after the session, you will prevent that from happening. You will lower cortisol, which is great because it will help you build more muscle. I'm going to get back to that in the cortisol quote-unquote section. Uh, what you also decrease adrenaline, giving your receptors a break. So you can train heavy more often or you can train hard more often. You can recover faster and you can avoid that feeling like crap feeling. Uh, so you can. some people can naturally do that. People with high serotonin or high GABA can shut their brain down right after a session. You have the Bulgarian Olympic lifting team. They will max out on front squats, snatch and clean and jerk at 10 a.m. And they can take a nap at 11.30. And they can train hard again at two because they have high dopamine or high serotonin. But the normal individual might need to use a supplementation strategy after a very intense workout to calm the brain down. So my favorite strategy that I use with pretty much all of the clients I work with, uh, I would say 80%, the, 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 what I call the type 2Bs, those who are overly emotional, those who have huge mood swings, take everything personal, now, they, they won't respond well to one part of the protocol, which I'm going to mention in a moment. But for everybody else, this protocol is very effective when taken at the end of the workout to maximize gains and recovery. So it's a very simple and super inexpensive protocol. Uh, it requires two ingredients. The first one is the amino acid glycine. So glycine is, in my opinion, the, more, the most underestimated supplement you can take. It's literally magical when it comes to recovery. 
I'm going to explain exactly what it does in the body. First of all, it's dirt cheap. You can literally like buy a year's worth for $20, $20 or something like that. It's very inexpensive because you only need three to five grams after the workout. Now, glycine is an amino acid. It's and, and, and it acts a lot like GABA. It shuts the brain down. So right from the start, by itself, it will calm the brain down after a workout. So that would be sufficient enough to make it a good product in my book. But it does a lot more than that. It also increases circulating serotonin level. Remember that serotonin is one of the neurotransmitters that is responsible for calming the brain down. Specifically, serotonin is a mood balancer. Serotonin allows you to adapt your neurological state to the situation at hand. So it will calm you down if you need to be calmer, but it will allow you to get amped up if you need to get amped up. It, it allows you to more easily be well adjusted to what you need to be. So glycine will calm the brain down, but on top of that, it increases circulating level of serotonin. Now, on top of that, if that were not sufficient, glycine actually will have anabolic properties. One thing that, that is very important to understand is the value of what we call mTOR. mTOR is an enzyme, and that enzyme is heavily involved in triggering protein synthesis, or what we call muscle growth. So the more you amp up mTOR around the workout, the more muscle growth you're going to get. And amino acids are some of the best tools to get that happening. And two amino acids stand out when it comes to amping mTOR. The first one is leucine, which is why we often recommend taking BCAAs before the workout, mostly because of the leucine, which will increase the mTOR response to training. But glycine is even more powerful than leucine when it comes to amping up mTOR. Of course, because it calms the brain down, you don't want to take leucine before the workout. But if you take it afterwards, you increase the anabolic response from the workout getting more growth. You're also calming the brain down, which will prevent uh, adrenergic desensitization. And you are decreasing cortisol, which will help you recover both neurologically and physiologically. So to me, unless you have a certain brain chemistry issue with like excess glutamate, you should definitely take glycine if you want to maximize your growth. The second angry ingredient I would use is magnesium. Magnesium by itself will dislocate or dislodge, disconnect the adrenaline for, from the adrenergic receptor. That's why magnesium has a calming down effect because it decreases how much adrenaline can stay connected to the adrenergic receptors. After the workout, you want to take a magnesium to facilitate freeing up the adrenergic receptors, preventing their desensitization. Now, there are several forms of magnesium. For that purpose, for post-workout, my favorite form of magnesium is magnesium taurate. Magnesium taurate, it's a magnesium molecule bound to taurine to increase absorption and transport. And taurine is a mood equalizer or a neurological equalizer. Taurine will calm you down if your brain is too amped up and will bring it back up if you're too down. It's funny because, as you probably know, they put taurine in energy drinks, right? Mm -hmm. Like you 
a Red Bull, you buy a Monster, they, you, you're going to have taurine in there. And it's actually on the label, like big, so you can see it. It's funny because my, my wife used to be on the rave party scene, and she told me that when they were taking energy drinks, they were all looking for the one with the highest taurine content because they believed that that was the key ingredient. That is what get me amped up. You know why they put, they, they put taurine in energy drinks? They put taurine in energy drinks to decrease the risk of side effects from right. overstimulation. That's the main reason. Because if your brain gets amped up too much, too much then your blood pressure increases, stre cardiovascular stress increases. And some people, when they drink too much, had heart attacks. I mean, just in Quebec here, we had several hockey players die on the ice because they took too many energy drinks before the games. So the taurine would actually help alleviate some of the potential side effects. The second reason is because taurine will calm you down if you're amped up too much. What happens is caffeine, caffeine hits you hard first. Because of the carbonation of the beverage, the absorption of caffeine is really, really fast. So it gets your brain amped up really quickly. Then the taurine, because it's an amino acid, it, it's slower to absorb. Then it, it's absorbed. And what it does, it calms the brain down. You lose the eye energy effect. What do you do? You buy a second energy drink. So that's the real reason why they're putting taurine in there. Taurine is really something that will bring you back down if you're too high. So magnesium taurate will give you a small amount of taurine, which can help calm the brain down. It also increases GABA, which is a good thing. The second best option for magnesium would be magnesium glycinate because it, it is bound to a glycine molecule. But if you're taking glycine post-workout, that is not necessary. That's why I prefer the taurate option. So right away, if you want to calm your brain down, glycine and magnesium taurate will do the trick post-workout. And I have the same concoction after the workday. So when your workday is done, you take magnesium taurate and glycine, and it allows you to calm the brain down, bring cortisol back down, bring adrenaline back down, help you rest and recover, getting easier to get to sleep. You could even use that after a high-stress event. So, for example, right now, the, this podcast is a high-stress event for me. It's not stressful. In, uh, I'm anxious, but it, it's certainly amping up my cortisol and amping up my, my adrenaline. Oddly enough, it's funny because when I pre when I, either when I present or even I give a podcast, I will literally look like 10% worse after this podcast. I will retain water and my muscles will be flat just because of the action of cortisol. Now, by taking magnesium and glycine after the podcast, I can bring myself back down and it's going to be magic. I always use that when I present. So that's a strategy that everybody who needs to calm their brain down, people who are anxious, people who have lots of stress, they should definitely take that. And people who train hard and have a hard time recovering, they should definitely take magnesium post-workout and glycine. And you don't need a lot of magnesium. Magnesium is absorbed in a weird way. The more you take, the less you absorb. So for example, if I'm taking three daily doses of 250 milligrams of magnesium for a total of 750 for the day, I'm going to absorb more magnesium than if I take one dose of 1,000 milligrams. So I prefer to keep my doses smaller. 250 milligrams is more than enough. It's just enough to dislocate adrenaline from the adrenergic receptors and also get all the benefits of magnesium. Like 750, 1,000 milligrams of magnesium per day, you get many benefits. You don't need huge dosages. So great, great. I've not, I've not heard the glycine thing. I've got a few questions on this, only because I'm familiar with 
some of what you said and um yeah i just want to kind of kind of clear this up in my mind so first thing um i know that we it's reported that many people are magnesium deficient uh i suspect through through diet choices and also as you said around its absorption my my understanding is magnesium is is best absorbed topically and hence the reason people talk about epsom salt baths and stuff like yeah. that at night to calm you down uh, and magnesium being a mineral can also bind to certain things such as oxalates and so forth seems to have a yeah. number of good properties as well as just all the kind of actions it takes in your body so I, i'm a big fan of magnesium i always have been but i take uh zmas uh that's been the for that the primary uh, di- supplemental form not for any other reason other than the first thing that kind of hit me and I've just stuck with them, they typically have magnesium citrate. Now, first question then is, you know, ZMAs versus magnesium taurate or or magnesium glycinate. Any, any, Any reason to kind of cut the ZMAs and just go straight for one of the two that you've described, which obviously citrate is the main form of magnesium in ZMAs typically? Yeah, it's normally less expensive. That's the main reason why they, 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 they chose it. ZMA was developed many, many years, like almost 20 years ago by bulk laboratories at first. And it was used by athletes because they, 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 they were all deficient in magnesium and zinc. They didn't use it to decrease neurological activation or to help you calm down because, in fact, zinc can bring your nervous system up. Uh, while magnesium will bring it down. So that was not the purpose of the formula. The only purpose of the formula was to make sure that athletes were not deficient in magnesium and zinc. Because when they they did tests uh, on many, many elite athletes, they were all magnesium and zinc deficient. So certainly most athletes that sweat a lot, lose a lot of minerals, they need to supplement with magnesium and zinc because it's kind of hard to get enough from your regular diet. Uh, so, so at the, the formula was only designed with that specific purpose and not for that purpose. That's fine because once the magnesium is unbound, it, it's magnesium. So, so it does the same thing and it will work to some extent because they still have, it's still magnesium and it will still dislocate, dislodge the adrenaline from the receptors, but you don't get the added benefit of the taurine molecule. Uh, so, so that would be the, the main thing. Would it make a huge difference? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think it would be that much of a difference. I just, I probably won't, don't want the zinc uh, in the evening. I probably, post-workout, it's probably fine. But in the grand scheme of things, it probably mm-hmm. won't make a huge difference. What I like with ZMA is that it also includes vitamin B6. Mm-hmm. And vitamin B6 is key. It's extremely important for, first, the production of most of the neurotransmitters, like it's you needed to produce dopamine, you needed to produce serotonin, you need to produce adrenaline. So it's very important for the production of most neurotransmitters. And also vitamin B6 is key for most supplements targeting the neurotransmitter to work. So for example, if you supplement with 5-HTP, 5-HTP and tryptophan are used to increase serotonin levels. Well, if you don't have vitamin B6 or if you're deficient in vitamin B6, the supplements won't work. Same thing with tyrosine, which will, which is used to increase dopamine. Tyrosine works a lot better when you have the bioactive form of vitamin B6, which is called P5P or pyridoxin. So the, the, the vitamin B6 is a key nutrient to optimize your neurological profile. 
Now, vitamin B6, if it's only added in its like regular form, it, it's decent, but the best form is in a P5P form or pyridoxin uh, or pyridoxal acid. That, that, that's the best form to increase absorption. Okay. And so, but, but to get back to your question, ZMA to me is not a bad product, uh, but it was not designed for its brain or neurological altering properties. It was designed solely to give the body enough zinc and magnesium to prevent deficiency. So it's good for that. But for neurological inhibition after a workout, I would still go with, with Torate if you want the maximum effect. Okay. All right. And then the, the second question is about timing. So, uh, you know, people train all, all throughout the day, different times of the day. I'm a morning trainer just because I've got the most motivation. I structure my day around that. I get on with the rest of my day as soon as I've worked out. Others prefer to train in the evening. But if you are a morning worker and you have a cognitively demanded job, which most of us do, and you want to mm -hmm. perform and be successful at that, you want to be productive, you want to have great creative work, um, part of me worries uh, with yeah. this idea of slowing myself down immediately post-workout because if anything, I kind of want to keep myself amped up so I can get straight into my work and continue to be sharp. Do you do, do you change your recommendations on timing yeah. if people have got you know heavy cognitive work immediately afterwards? Not so much. The, 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 I would actually change the prescription because that is something that can happen. Now, my recommendation would be to try the protocol, but just go very low on the glycine, like two grams of glycine, just to see how it affects you. In most people, two grams of glycine and uh, 250 milligrams of magnesium torate, it will not bring you in that like zombie mode. It will bring you in a more calm mode. So that, that could be one possibility. Uh, the other possibility would be to, to replace the glycine with phosphatidylserin. Uh, it, it doesn't do exactly the same thing. Phosphatidylserin is uh, it, it's a lipid and it's, it, it has a great impact on cortisol. It's a cortisol modulator. So phosphatidylserin will decrease cortisol if it's too high, but it will bring it back up if it's too low. So phosphatidylserin will allow you to bring yourself back down after a workout. Remember, Cortisol is one of the main trigger for adrenaline production. When cortisol increase, you will increase the activity of the PNMT enzyme that converts no adrenaline into adrenaline. So if you decrease cortisol, you will also decrease adrenaline, which will decrease adrenergic stimulation. Now, the cool thing with phosphatidylserin is that it cannot bring you down. When I say down, it's like that zombie mode, that unmotivated mode. But if you are overly amped up for what you need to do, phosphatidylserin will bring you back down. If you're too low, it will actually bring you back up. So it's a modulator, not a decreaser. Okay. So I would take... Hmm? Pardon? I just said, okay, sorry. Must have had some reverb. Yeah. So, so I would take four, 600 milligrams of phosphatidylserin. On top of that, it's actually uh, a, a, a supplement that is part of the nootropic family. It will actually increase brain focus, uh, imagination, and concentration. 
So, so it, it, even if it would decrease activation a bit, which you would not know it is likely, it actually increases brain function. So it can more than make up for that. The only downside of, of, of phosphatidylserine, which is a great product, I always use it when I present, is that it's pretty expensive. It's pretty expensive. Okay. But, but if you're training four days a week, you can use it only like around the most demanding workout, to, and that would be beneficial in itself. I would still use the magnesium. Magnesium post-workout, I would still use that. But 250 milligrams will not bring you down to any noticeable uh, extent, but it will really help prevent adrenergic desensitization. Okay. Uh, you can, there are also other products you can use, but I don't want to get too complicated. But these are the two that I use most of the time if you want to get. Uh, prevent neurological or CNS, what we call CNS fatigue, desensitization of the adrenergic receptors, decreasing excess cortisol. Okay. And maybe as a common theme, uh, if we talk about any other compounds or, or supplements, could you also just give us um, a sense of how you can acquire them via food choices as well? So in this, in this instance, glycine and magnesium. Yeah. I know glycine is this related to, to meat, isn't it? Yeah, uh, glycine uh, can be found in, in many uh, in, in many meats, especially red meats, or uh, it would be found even more in um, in cartilage and stuff like mm. that. So, uh, in bone marrow, uh, so so that would definitely be an option. But I'm the problem is that when you do that, uh, you, you can't absorb it as much, and you don't get the pharmaceutical effect the same pharmaceutical effect as if you take the amino acid by itself. Let's right. say I'm training, I'm working out. Then right after my workout, I take four grams or three or four grams of glycine. It's not an empty stomach because I ate before, but, but I, I don't have any competing thing to be digested at that moment. So absorption, it hits the bloodstream much more easily. Whether if you, whether if you have a whole meal, you still have some glycine there, but to get Five grams of glycine from meat alone, you'd need to eat a shit ton of meat. Uh, pardon my French. So, so that would not be practical, and the absorption would be very, very slow. It wouldn't hit the, the blood in time to get that calming down effect. On top of that, uh, meat is very rich in tyrosine, much richer in tyrosine and in glycine. So tyrosine will actually amp you up which is why I, I like the, to have mostly meat uh, uh, as a breakfast or uh, at least protein and very low-carb breakfast to favor the absorption of tyrosine. Tyrosine is an amino acid that actually amps me up. Take five grams of glycine on, uh, uh, of tyrosine on an empty stomach. In 30 minutes, you're going to be full of energy and you're going to enjoy life like never before. Uh, I once took 10 grams of tyrosine upon waking up in the morning. By accident, because I thought my scoops were five grams, it was actually 10. Well, 30 minutes later, I cleaned up the whole house. Uh, I shuffled snow for like an hour, and I was thinking to myself, dude, are you really enjoying shuffling snow at 6 a.m. in the morning? Because it, it, it just increases, tyrosine increases dopamine, which is the positive reward, pleasure neurotransmitter. I just felt great. So that's how powerful tyrosine is. So if you have tyrosine on more than glycine in meat, then the, the, the relaxing effect will be lost for the activating effect of tyrosine. So ideally, you want the, the isolated form. In fact, when I, uh, when I recommend using glycine, we take glycine and magnesium right after the workout. We don't have 
a post-workout shake or meal until 30 minutes after. So we want to have the most impact as possible from the glycine. Makes sense. Um, before you get into your next one, maybe a, a nice way to kind of bring this home and make this relevant for, for listeners. Let's just use a couple of anecdotes. So um, I'm a type 1A. We've discussed that in the prior podcasts. Um, my diet from our discussions over the last couple of months has been shifting in part because of the great work you're doing and understanding myself more and just being more in tune with my, what my body wants versus just mindlessly eating. You know, I'm starting to shift. Plus, I've been, you know, really warm into the idea of a low carb, kind of meat dominant diet. And that's really the format I follow now. I've got, I would say I follow a relatively optimized diet for my objectives. I have a relatively high meat uh, and, and animal based consumption. I have very low carb consumption, uh, limiting it just to the evening to apply those breaks on my brain based on the discussion we had prior. And in addition to that, I I do have some vegetables, by the way. It's just it's, it's minimal. Um, I then supplement with some stuff like just the standard stuff: the omega threes, the bees, the you know the multivit, etc. Some you know some some whey protein just to support and balance out mm -hmm. my protein needs. But I do, based on your recommendations, have additional leucine, have additional mm -hmm. tyrosine, and yeah. also alpha GPC. Now I eat a ton of eggs, maybe you know three to five a day. Uh, I love them. Uh, it makes me feel good. Uh, I think yeah. it supports all my needs. But the reason bringing this up is type one A. Uh, you know, I, I feel an optimized diet for you know my neurotype and plus you know what I enjoy. And you know, from my longevity perspective, I feel I'm doing the right thing. Maybe not, but it feels right. I have leucine, tyrosine, and alpha GPC on top of a diet that probably is already rich in those compounds. So, on your in your perspective, are they still a value to be delivered to my bloodstream in isolation based on a kind of timing sequence to optimize, you know, workouts, performance and muscle recovery and development? Or am I wasting my money when I already have a diet rich in all of those three things? Well, that's a good question. I mean, uh, it depends on the timing. So for example, uh, by having I could, like either eggs or meat or mostly protein for breakfast, you will get your tyrosine need because if you have low carbs, you, you, your tyrosine is going to be absorbed more easily uh, than tryptophan. If you have like a high carbs breakfast, that's when supplemental tyrosine would be absolutely necessary right. for your type because you would absorb tryptophan much more <laughs> easily than, than tyrosine, so it would actually relax you. Uh, so, but, but still, the, what I like is that tyrosine. Whenever you take it, like when you take it, of course, the emptier the stomach, the better. But if you take it without other foods, even if you still have some food in you, it's still going to work. Uh, I, I, typic yeah. I typically dump all of this stuff all on my system first thing in the morning. I basically make myself a protein shake, uh, mm -hmm. which has got, you know, just, just to be clear, just in case yeah. the context helps. You know, I have some goat whey, I have some goat milk mixed in there. I put some, I put, usually put caffeinated espresso in there. I have some kind of butter because I just enjoy that process. And then on top of that, I might load in a couple of things. I'll load in some additional leucine, all that, albeit I know I'm getting it already. I'll load in some additional tyrosine. Uh, and then in terms of like pill form stuff, I'm having my, my vitamin D. I'm having my, uh, my alpha GPC capsules. And that's probably it. But I'm, I'm not 
being particularly smart around my timing. I'm just kind of knocking them all back in the morning and then I have my ZMAs, that kind of thing in the evening. Yeah. It's better than nothing. But if you want to optimize it, I would take, I would <laughs> certainly take the, the tyrosine on an empty stomach. So the first thing you do in the morning, you would take your tyrosine uh, and probably alpha GPCs. I would, I would actually, my, 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 if you want to optimize, like truly be optimized in your case, I would take tyrosine, rhodiola, and theanine in the morning, first thing upon waking up on an empty stomach. So by, by uh, the, the, the reason is, okay, the, the tyrosine would increase dopamine. The rhodiola is an adaptogen. But it, it both increases the lifespan of the dopamine you produce. So dopamine becomes effective for longer, which will give you all the energy. But it will also keep dopamine and, and serotonin more in balance. So it, that, that, that's what adaptogens do. They, they, yes, they increase neurotransmitter, but they make sure that everything is in balance. So rhodiola would be a, a great tool to add to tyrosine. And the theanine, the theanine also give you that more quiet energy. So it, it allows you to stay more focused because if you increase dopamine without theanine or without rhodiola, it will just give you a huge boost of adrenaline because the excess dopamine will be converted to adrenaline. Mm -hmm. That's key because it's not just a matter of I'm going to amp up my dopamine as much as possible. I'm going to be a machine. Well, if you increase dopamine too much, the body senses that dopamine and serotonin are out of balance, and it will adapt by converting the dopamine to adrenaline, which will give you energy, but as many downsides as I explained earlier. By, by having rhodiola, you make sure that everything stays into balance, and you have theanine on top of that. These two will, will make sure that you stay more even, so you keep the high dopamine, but you don't overproduce adrenaline, and serotonin will be higher also. So that just evens everything out. You're just gonna feel great, you're gonna be focused, concentrated. I would take those on an empty stomach. And I, I would wait like 15 minutes. I, I would prefer 30, but 15 is good. So 15 minutes before you have the rest of your shake. Okay. Good shout. Good shout. That, that alone would be optimal. And then the, 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 I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put the leucine. How, how soon do you train after your, your shake? Uh, it depends how productive I'm being. Sometimes I'm, I'm taking a dog for a walk afterwards. Other times I'm getting straight in. It's typically at least an hour based on how I structure my mornings. I, I, would, I would keep the leucine for right before the workout, like, like 10 minutes before or even at the workout. Because okay. the, the, the purpose of the leucine, uh, two reasons. I'm going to explain why. The first reason is that leucine, its main benefit for us is to increase the mTOR activation from training. So you want it to be around in your bloodstream when you're lifting. So if you take it an hour before, an hour and a half before, there's a good chance that it's not there anymore. So, so right. by taking it like 15 minutes before, you will increase the mTOR response to training. The second reason is that if you take leucine in the morning and, and you don't have any carbs, it might actually drive blood sugar down slightly uh, because leucine actually triggers insulin. So, so you, you don't want too much of it if you don't have any carbs. Whereas if you increase insulin when training and you increase, that, that will actually protect you. And even if it, if even it, uh, it will decrease cortisol. So that you would take carbs around the workout. The leucine would increase mTOR activation. 
Uh, but in the morning, I, I, you kind of waste it. You kind of waste it. Uh, do you know what? That, that is so interesting because it's it's difficult enough to work out what to take, but to work out yeah. the timing, um, it seems to be like guesswork for most people. I, I know I've been guessing, and I've been I've been I've been riding with convenience over optimal just because I don't know any better, and I want to make sure I get everything that I've decided I'm going to have, so I have it all in one go. But uh, I can see that you know sequencing makes a difference. That was a segue. You had you had a flow. So we just spoke about shutting your brain down using glycine and magnesium as your two key tools to go do that after the workout, maybe in the evening as well, in support of a stressful life. What else was you going to talk about? Well, it, it, again, we can continue on with the inhibition of the nervous system because in most cases, when I have clients for because a big issue is sleep. I mean, honestly, sleep is literally the most important element for positive body composition changes. Want to get leaner, want to get more muscular, the quality and quantity of sleep is the most important thing you need to focus on. And there is no way you can get optimum results if you're sleeping five hours a night. And no, you can't compensate by taking a two or three hours nap during the day. If anything, like short naps during the day are a good idea if they're no longer than 20 minutes because more than that, you actually enter REM sleep and when you wake up, you'll, you'll feel groggy for a few hours and be non-productive. And the body will need to create a huge cortisol spike just to get you back up. Because if you wake up groggy and you still have plenty of work to do and you can't do it, cortisol increases to increase adrenaline to get you out of that funk, which kind of defeats the purpose. So like 20 minutes naps are really good for recovery, but more than that can actually do more harm than good. And even if naps are good, they can compensate for lack of quality or quantity of sleep. Uh, and also, one more thing, any hour that you sleep prior to midnight is actually worth like two hours from a recovery perspective, from a, a regular circadian rhythm perspective. So it's better, the earlier you, it's better to go to bed early and wake up early than to go to bed late and get up late. Even if you get the same amount of sleep, it doesn't have the same impact. So, so certainly supplement that can help you sleep better if you have a hard time getting to sleep will help. Now, most of the time, people who use the glycine and magnesium protocol in the evening will have a much easier time to go to sleep, but sometimes you need a little more. Now, uh, melatonin is popular, but in Australia, it's, it's, it's not quote-unquote legal, uh, but you have quite a few supplements that can help. Uh, my favorite is called lemon balm. Lemon balm or melise uh, increase the duration of GABA and also increase GABA production. And GABA is the neurotransmitter that shuts you down. So that will help you get to sleep better. I've had a figure athlete, any, anything I've tried didn't work, like glycine, magnesium. She's the only athlete that didn't work for her when it comes to sleep. But the lemon balm just put her down to sleep and great recovery. So that's certainly something I would look into. Now, the other element, because we talked about neurological inhibition, calming down. Uh, now we want to talk about activation, how to amp the brain up. If you want to increase performance, if you want to have more focus, more drive, more pleasure, if you find yourself unmotivated, if you find yourself to have low morning energy, then you want to increase the production of dopamine and adrenaline. Just before just before we get on that, yeah. just before we move away from the calming, um, yeah. 
e- evening Z- ZMAs or, or, or magnesium glycine, this lemon balm thing, concoction in your mind makes a lot of sense and helps. A, a bodybuilding um, kind of um, regular piece of advice is, you know, pre-bed casein or some some form of food with protein ahead of ahead of sleeping. Now, just personal anecdote, I do that. I used to do that right before going to bed. I am I am one of the world's worst when it comes to rest restlessness and waking up for weeing. And I don't know whether it's because of my casein or not. So I keep bringing both my amount of water I drink. No, when I have my last drink, i.e. water, and when I bring my casein shake, which has some bone broth in there for the glycine, and you know I take my ZMAs as well. I bring them back and back until I'm, I'm probably taking around about eight o'clock now, going to bed about half ten. It doesn't yep. stop me going for a wee though, but I don't know what my deal is. But irrespective of that, what is your view on you know food consumption and timing? to optimize sleep because if you get that wrong you're going to be up all night right digesting food or going for a wee yeah. or just generally being stimulated i certainly don't want like a, a meal that is hard to digest uh, at night however having and that's the thing right if you only have protein at night or proteins and fats you might actually make it harder to go to sleep because as i explained earlier or in a previous podcast you you have two key amino acids when it comes to neurotransmitters. You have tyrosine, which transforms or gets converted into dopamine, which amps the brain up. And you have tryptophan, which is converted to serotonin, which calms you down. Now, depending on what you are eating, you will favor one over the other. So if I'm eating a lot more protein and very low carbs, I'm going to favor the absorption and transport of tyrosine because tyrosine and tryptophan use the same transporter. If I have a lot more carbs than protein, I will favor the absorption of tryptophan. So if I'm adding only protein in the evening, I'm actually making it harder to relax. Even, even, even if you have a carby meal prior to no, having, no, say, yeah. your casein protein an hour and a half later, it's that last meal macro combination that could be a problem? No, if you had carbs... Uh, like an hour prior, that's fine. That's fine. Right. Uh, because the, the, basically you, you want, because the carbs won't be fully absorbed anyway by, by that time. But, but you still need, in my opinion, it's important, in my opinion, in my experience, to have carbs in that last meal. Now, mm-hmm. how much carbs will depend on the person. And you, ideally, you want slow-absorbed carbs. You don't want to spike blood sugar levels. That might interfere with growth hormone production. You want a very low glycemic carb in the evening. And because on top of increasing serotonin and decreasing cortisol, because don't forget that the first function of cortisol is to elevate blood sugar levels. If blood sugar levels drop down, cortisol goes up. So if I have a steady level of carbohydrates or glucose getting into my bloodstream, then I don't release cortisol. If I don't release cortisol, I don't produce adrenaline that helps you sleep better. If I have no carbs in a few meals prior to going to bed, my blood sugar is lower, I increase cortisol, which increases adrenaline, which makes it harder to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. On top of that, if I have protein only, I will increase tyrosine absorption, which increases dopamine, which amps me up. 
not a good mix. But if you have carbs, let's say an hour prior and it's, it's prior to your shape, and it's slow digesting carbs, they might take four hours, five hours to get fully absorbed. So th there is no problem in taking your shake protein only an hour after and then going to bed because you still have some carbs in your bloodstream and serotonin is still being released, still being favored. And, and because of a steadier blood sugar level, then you don't produce cortisol or produce less cortisol, which uh, favors the release of growth hormone and, and favors the, the, the decrease in, in adrenaline, which helps you sleep better. Would you, would you even, even take the casein? Do you think that's relevant if you're already eating? Like, sure. You know? Sure. You no, see no, no. Util utilization for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. I, I personally don't take it because my protein intake is more than enough. But I, I do have a. Sh I don't. I, I just use regular whey protein. I, I don't use casein. Not, not that it doesn't work. Uh, but because my protein intake is very high during the day, and lots of meat, and don't forget that a steak, if it's a big size steak, it might take up to twelve hours to be fully absorbed. So, so you don't need the casing. I mean, it was a, it was a popular for a while, but most people don't do that anymore. Mm. Uh, if you're having a steak in the evening or, or salmon, which is a fatty fish, it's going to stay with you for, for most of the night and you won't become catabolic. Anyway, I believe that it's good to have periods when your body's amino acid reserves are low uh, because – Protein, or, or more precisely, amino acids. Amino acids can trigger protein synthesis, muscle growth. But to do that, you need to have a large variation between the lowest blood amino acid level and the highest blood amino acid level. It's the variation between the valleys and the peaks. That's the variation. That is the trigger for anabolism. So if protein is constantly elevated 24-7, you actually don't get much of anabolic response from protein. And um, even worse than that, your body can actually be accustomed to that high level of protein and it becomes adapted to it and it would actually deaminate many of the amino acids, basically turning them into glucose. So you, you lose the effect. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing to have periods, a few hours, six, eight, 12 hours of low protein because you become sent when you first have protein, boom, big spike in anabolism. So I, I don't see personally a purpose in maintaining steady uh, protein intake level or a steadier amino acids level during the day. Okay. So you're, 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 you're more uh, focused on total protein intake and just generally yeah. getting good quality, um, pro, complete profile amino acids during the day, hitting a reasonable number, uh, timing of it into the evening you don't see particularly important. No, no. Uh, but well, the, the timing is somewhat important that you want protein around the workout. Right. Uh, but but it, 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 in the grand scheme of things, outside of that, it, it doesn't matter that much. Also, we could argue that casein being actually richer in leucine, uh, that can be seen as a benefit. But if you take that before going to bed, it could be a downside by decreasing blood sugar level, which would increase cortisol while you're sleeping, waking you up. 
so, so that could be an issue. I wouldn't think it's a big issue, but it's 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 a little detail that if someone has very fragile sleeping pattern, it might be taken into consideration. I personally, I really keep it simple. I mean, uh, I will have my, a steak as my last meal. And if I need more protein to hit my target, I'm going to have a shake after that. But I, I really don't stress over that. Uh, in fact, I, I want sometimes that where my body has low amino acid levels. Coming from someone like you, that I think that that's reassuring because I I sometimes do mindless things because once upon a time it made sense to me and I I, I fear to not change it only because I don't want to lose the benefit albeit I can't even quantify the benefit so you know what I'm going to take I'm going to take your advice I'm going to give it a go and see how I feel because anything that improves my quality of sleep I'm all over that I'm like I'm an, an obsessed sleep freak at the minute and I have been for the last year and a half and Sometimes I get amazing sleep and the only downside of my sleeping schedule is my need to keep waking up for a wee. If it wasn't for that, I think I'd have amazing yeah. sleep. So anything I could do to limit that, the better, I think. Okay. You know, Stanford-ing said something like pretty, pretty a good image. You know, focusing on, on like, like taking protein or anything that you do to you think that will increase muscle mass, like taking protein before bed, for example, if that takes away from your sleep, it's like uh, like throwing away a $100 bill to bend over and pick up a 25 cents. <laughs> sleep is primary. Sleep is primary. Anything that detracts, for example, uh, there was a, a, a few years back, it was really popular among bodybuilders to wake up in the middle of the night to drink a protein shake. Uh, which makes sense if you are on high doses of anabolic steroids, uh, because you will be anabolic 24-7. You actually don't need to trigger protein synthesis because it's already triggered. But if you're natural, you want to have all the advantages you can to trigger protein synthesis, and you need periods of lower I mean, blood amino acid levels to be able to trigger protein synthesis by, by ingesting protein. But, but on top of that, I mean, it makes no sense to force yourself to wake up completely mess up the quality of your sleep to take protein yeah it's Crazy. literally like throwing away a hundred dollar bill just to gain 25 cents it makes no sense love quality that analogy love that analogy let's get on to this activation piece that he was about to and then i, I rudely interrupted go for it christian <laughs> no it's fine you know, because most people and it, that most people when they especially those who are under lots of stress uh bad sleep they oftentimes have a hard time getting amped up. They, 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 it takes them forever in the morning to get started. They need like to drink five coffees. And that's the reason why I like pre-workout stimulants, uh, like no explode and uh, like those supplements that have like uh, 300 milligrams of, of caffeine per dose and other like, like chemical stimulants in there are so popular because people want to feel amped up. The problem is that these stimulants, like the hard stimulants, like ephedrine, synephrine, uh, DMAA, uh, like anything of any pre-workout stimulant that you can find at, at your local supplement store, these products will do a lot, a lot more harm than good when it comes to your health and when it comes to your gains. Uh, and when I say gains, it's building muscle, it's also losing fat. It might help you in the short run because it gives you the illusion that you're stronger, you have more energy, but it actually has many, many downsides. 
First, you overproduce adrenaline or you overstimulate the adrenergic receptors. So what happens, you, you, you run the risk of desensitizing them. So what do you do the next day? You feel like crap, well, you're going to take another pre-workout. But you keep digging yourself into a hole. It's, it's like borrowing lots of money from a bank. You, know, you feel great because you have all this money, but eventually you have to pay back with interest. Same thing, right? I, I'm, I'm a low energy. I'm going to take a pre-workout. Boom, I've amped up great workout. The next day I feel like crap. No worries. I'm taking a pre-workout. Boom, feel great. So, so if you do that all the time, then you're going to run a big risk of completely desensitizing your energy receptors. You can also deplete your dopamine. You can also decrease testosterone. Because remember, the more adrenaline I produce, the more cortisol is being produced before that. So these pre-workouts will actually increase the cortisol production during the session. The more cortisol you produce, the harder it is to build muscle, but also one, one key element, testosterone, estrogen, and cortisol are all fabricated from the same hormone. It's called pregnenolone. The more cortisol I produce, the less raw material I have left to produce testosterone. So the abuse of those stimulants can increase the level of cortisol and decrease testosterone. Not exactly what you want to maximize gains, but it gives the illusion that they work because when you take them, you are stronger. Of course, because you over amp up your nervous system. Another big problem with that, the, 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 the stimulants, is that they mask fatigue. Now, if you, okay, you do a training session, the next day when you wake up, you feel like total crap. You take the stimulant and you can have a great workout. You, you don't even like, think, well, maybe my programming is bad. Am I supposed to be feeling like crap like that? Probably not. So instead of thinking back, taking a day off and reviewing your training, modifying it to better suit your capacity, your tolerance for volume, you keep plowing on because you're adding the, the, the artificial energy. So it basically masks fatigue, but you never learn the proper way to train for you. And, and then when it's too late, then you're in deep, deep crap. So that's why I don't like those stimulants. But you can use strategies to amp up the brain without the negative downside of increasing adrenaline too much or over-amping up or using stimulants. The best way to do that is to increase dopamine. So not only will you feel more energized, you will feel more focused, you'll feel more motivated, more confident. So it just overall, you feel better. So the best product, the easiest one to use, and I mentioned that before, it's tyrosine. Tyrosine will, is a precursor to dopamine. So you can supplement with five grams, well, you can start with two grams. Two grams of tyrosine will work with most people. You can take up to five grams. Isn't, uh, isn't tyrosine like micro dose? So I'm, I'm sure I've got tyrosine and the, the recommended dosage is like micrograms. Oh, it's, it's, it's a tiny, tiny little spoon. Tiny spoon, tiny little thing. And well, it's, it, it's, it's probably like the screen, the screen is probably like one gram, which would make sense. So if it's, I think one, it's one half spoon. a gram, maybe. Possible. You, you need to look at the type. Is it? Tyrosine or is it acetyl L tyrosine? Yeah, I think it is. The, I think it's the latter. Yeah, yeah, acetyl L tyrosine, which is the better option. It's a much higher quality product. 
Acetyl and tyrosine is literally 10 times more potent. Ah. So, so, so 500 milligrams would be the equivalent of 2.5 to 5 grams of, of, of tyrosine. Right. So it, it's a much better option. So if I were to design like a multi-ingredient dopamine stimulator, I would use acetyl and tyrosine because you need a much, much lower quantity. But if you're using straight L-tyrosine, you would need between two and five grams to get maximum effect. With acetyl L-tyrosine, like 0.5 to one gram is, is likely enough to get a good effect. You can, you can go higher. You can just try to find out which dose works best for you. But, but that would be my first choice. And it can be taken multiple times throughout the day, like 20, 30 minutes before you need an extra boost in mental capacity or motivation. I would also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, use rhodiola, rosea on the, in the morning. It's not a stimulant. It's not even something that will amp you up. But it just makes sure that you will stay more even and that the, 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 the boost is not like a big bang. It's more of a like slowly increasing wave of energy that keep, that stays with you for much longer, which is great for all the energy, but it's also amazing to prevent the potential side effects of overamping up the nervous system. So rhodiola is, is an adaptogen, making sure that there's a balance between dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin. It, it's a great product to add to tyrosine if you want to increase. Uh, like brain power is then, ro and rhodiola that, like a natural uh, reoccurring yeah, it, substance absolutely absolutely it, it's a, a, a plant adaptogen it's a well, it's a mushroom actually oh okay and, and that, is, is it something that does it break down or is it is it does it break down into something that we we produce naturally uh no it's the it, the, the rosavins that are in there are not like something that is found naturally in the human body but it's not it's not a, a banned substance either Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, and, and then another substance you can use if you want to increase dopamine, which is the key to getting quote unquote amped up. Two more supplements I really like, like Macuna Prurians. Macuna Prurians is high, is it's high in L-dopa, which is the direct precursor to dopamine. So if you have Macuna Prurians and L-tyrosine, you have two steps in the production of dopamine, which makes the, the whole production much more efficient like the, it's, it's a case of one plus one equals three it, it's not necessary now most people will get more than enough uh, dopamine production from tyrosine or even better acetyl tyrosine but someone who is in like deep doo-doo neurologically speaking like he's borderline depressive macuna had added to tyrosine which will do great things to get them out of that funk because there's the thing like, it's funny because when you have when you suffer from clinical depression, they give you SSRIs, right? Serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, and what that do the serotonin reuptake inhibitor basically it increases serotonin levels. Okay, the, the reuptake is when I'm releasing a neurotransmitter, but I'm recapturing it before it can reach the next neuron, so it cannot send the message. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the serotonin reuptake inhibitor, what they do is when you release serotonin, it prevents the recapture of serotonin. So allowing you to keep more of that serotonin active. The problem is that depression is very rarely a serotonin issue. Serotonin, increasing serotonin helps when you're depressed because serotonin allows you to become better adjusted. 
So, so you, 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 like, you, you don't feel as bad about being depressed, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, but most of the time, depression, it's either a, a, a dopamine or adrenaline matter. Either you deplete dopamine or you desensitize your adrenergic receptors or a combination of both. What is depression? If you look at symptoms of depression, you will have lack of pleasure. It's called anhedonia. You're going to have lack of motivation, no energy, no libido, dark thoughts, drop in self-esteem, self-confidence. So, so these are all symptoms of low dopamine because dopamine is the pleasure and motivation neurotransmitter. Here's how it works. When the body releases dopamine, it gives a pleasure sensation, okay? So that is where motivation comes from. People with an efficient dopamine system, they are sensitive to dopamine. When they release dopamine, they have like 10 times the pleasure response as someone with low sensitivity, okay? And that's where motivation comes from. Why? Because I know that, for example, if I can like walk off that mountain, I will get a pleasure, a dopamine spike. I will be super motivated to climb that mountain, right? If I don't get a pleasure response, either because I don't produce dopamine, it's depleted, or I'm resistant to it, then my motivation goes down the drain because I don't get pleasure, a pleasure response. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of the Pavlov phenomenon. So dopamine is the motivation and the pleasure neurotransmitter. That's why when you are depleted in dopamine, you will be depressed. No motivation, no pleasure in life, no libido, because it's also highly important for libido. So when you feel depressed, what you want, you want to increase dopamine. Sure, serotonin will help you cope. Uh, Increasing serotonin will help you cope with the depressive state. But if you want to get out of it, you need to increase dopamine. So that's tyrosine, that's macronepurians. Many other products can increase dopamine. But, but, But for most people, tyrosine is enough. But if you have a case of the funk, adding macuna to it, rhodiola and tyrosine, will do the trick. Now, another product I like, and especially efficient, effective for type 1A, 1Bs, and 2As, pre-workout use of cordyceps. Uh, ideally, ideally, the cordyceps militaris or cordyceps sinensis. These are the two best forms. Now, cordyceps is a weird animal. It's a mix of a mushroom and an animal. It's a, a caterpillar. It's a mushroom that grows in a caterpillar. It's, it's really weird. But anyway, it, 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 it's an amazingly effective product to increase dopamine. Personal story about that. I was getting a seminar in Texas two years ago, and that was at the Onnit Academy. And Onnit also have uh, a supplement company producing a cordyceps product. Uh, and Sam Pogue, who was the guy who was in charge of showing me around, uh, working for Onnit at the time, he, he said, well, you know, we have this great track and field coach here, and he tried our cordyceps product, and he said that it, it boosted the, the, the testosterone of his soccer players so much that they were more interested in sex and playing uh, soccer and practicing. I said, dude, I want me some of that. If that increased testosterone, right, I'm getting in my 40s, I need all the testosterone I can get. So I bought a bottle, so the, the, the recommended dosage was like two capsules. Of course, I took six because that's <laughs> Kind of guy I am, 
And within 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes, like 20 minutes, I had the biggest increase in sex drive I've felt in years. And I turned in the best sexual performance I've ever had. <laughs> Sadly enough, I was alone in the hotel room, <laughs> which was really bad. But then I started thinking, okay, uh, like full disclosure, when I was younger and doing bodybuilding, I, I did take steroids at, at one point, including straight testosterone. And even straight testosterone, the one without ester, the one that hits you within minutes, it never increased libido like that. So I, and especially a, a supplement cannot increase testosterone in 20 minutes. It's impossible. So I started thinking, well, it can't be testosterone. So what is the only thing that it can increase libido in that short of time? Well, it would be neurotransmitters because that's the only thing that can change so quickly. So I did a research with cordyceps and, and dopamine and not surprisingly, cordyceps really increased dopamine, increasing motivation, increasing power. And in, interesting, interestingly, it also increases ATP production by up to 40%. So it gives you a lot more energy when training. So cordyceps prior to working out would be a good addition if you want more energy, more focus, more competitiveness, and, and be able to fuel those workouts. This is some great great stuff i mean I'm, I'm i'm quite inspired to check up some of these immediately afterwards i guess my, my only concern when it comes to supplementation is you know one am i just like caffeine right if you take if you if you habituate your use of caffeine you yeah. desensitize to caffeine it can cause some other issues as well uh, withdrawing yeah. can cause a bunch of issues too so you know, you, you spoke about the amino acids and the need for peaks and valleys to really get that yeah. amplified protein synthesis. Yeah. Is, is it right in saying that all these supplements that claim you claim to have a, a, a notable effect on your dopamine production could, if taken habitually, actually be a net negative for health because now you're, you're not producing it yourself. You're relying on these external supplements to, to drive up uh, your internal neurotransmitter production. Yeah. And in turn, could, just like taking loads of testosterone, right? That We know that's not good for your own production of testosterone and your own receptivity. Is, yeah. is there an issue here? Is there a risk? That's basically what there, I'm trying to ask. There is. I mean, and, and yes and no. Okay. Uh, for example, if you're taking, let's say, a, 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 a neurotransmitter precursor. So if you're taking tyrosine, which is a precursor, or it's the raw material to fabricate dopamine, you don't become desensitized or you don't stop producing your own dopamine. Because all you do with tyrosine is supply the body with the material it needs to produce dopamine. So, so you don't have that, you don't become incapable of producing dopamine. Because all you, you still have to fabricate it all yourself. It's like you want to build a house, but I'm supplying you with more bricks. You don't suddenly become not capable of building a house just because I, I give you bricks. If you compare that to taking steroids. Steroids is I want you to build a house, but I have friends build the house for you. Right Now, if I do that all the time, maybe you become lazy and you stop. You, you, you forget how to build a house. See what I mean? Yeah. So the, the tyrosine is only giving you more bricks to build your house, whereas steroids are hiring a crew to do the work for you. That's different. But still, I still believe that every supplement 
every recovery modality like massages, like saunas, like cold baths, uh, all these things needs to be near to be paradised. Because the body, even though you, you don't lose the capacity to produce dopamine, you do become accustomed to a certain level. If The danger is not forgetting how to produce dopamine. The danger is producing too much dopamine for too long. Remember when I talked about the adrenergic receptors. If I produce too much dopamine, then my receptors can become desensitized. There's too much of it. If I constantly eat sugar, I'm always pumping out insulin. My cells will eventually stop responding to insulin. I become resistant. Well, the same thing can happen with dopamine. If I overproduce dopamine all the time, my cells can become desensitized to the action of dopamine. So I can't, that's why people who take stimulants too often will have the same thing happen with, with the adrenaline receptors. So certainly, just like with anything, any recovery modality, any training methods, you want to use them only when absolutely needed. I, I don't have personally... I don't have a regular supplementation protocol except for the health stuff. Like you mentioned, fish oil. I personally include curcumin. Uh, to me, curcumin is even, is even better than fish oil. Curcumin, uh, for health purposes, it's even better than fish oil. But, but the, the two combined are absolutely amazing. So the, the, the three things that, are, that I keep in my own regimen pretty much year-round are curcumin, fish oil, and uh, uh, coenzyme Q12, uh, Q10, sorry, for, for, uh, for my heart. Yeah, and so the yeah. only thing, these are the only thing I keep all the time. I'm, now, I'm an individual that loves, loves a regime. And, and more importantly, I'm the kind of person who likes to automate. So uh, I, can, I can ruminate over something, but once like, I decide I'm going to do it, I like the idea of the consistency yeah. of saying, okay, in the morning, I'm popping these pills, I'm doing this thing, and I do it every day until it becomes automated. It becomes so habitual that I don't have to think about it. That means that my brain is left to do other stuff instead of always thinking about what I'm going to have. So that's, that's, my, that's my bias, but I can yeah. also understand that my bias can get me in trouble because yeah. I'm then always taking stuff that I don't always need. It's funny because that, that, that habit is actually something I have myself to some extent and that you, you find in many, many great productive people like Barack Obama. Barack Obama, even though I didn't like him as a president, you, know, you can't argue that he was successful. Uh, he always wore the same clothes. The, yeah, of course, he had like 20 different suits, but they were all the same. Because that's one less decision he has to make. Mm -hmm. Every time you have to make a decision, well, you're using brain power. And the same brain power you will need for discipline, for motivation. So the less of these small decisions you have to make, the more brain power you have for the rest. So I understand the need for habituation. But um, let me explain that way. If your brain becomes habituated to something, your body also probably is. So, so – the, if you take tyrosine all the time, eventually you stop having the benefits. And if you stop taking it, you will have a withdrawal effect. Not all supplements are like that, but supplements targeting the neurotransmitters might. Because basically you habituate your dopamine receptors for, to this very high dopamine level. So they become used to that level. If you, I'm taking away the extra tyrosine, I can produce quite as much dopamine, 
my receptors might feel it the need for more. See what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so what you can do is you, you can have periods. Would, what, simply put, the, the best, the easiest way to do it, and I do that with protein myself. I have one or two days per week, normally in a row, when I don't take any supplements. Don't take any of the supplements you take for two days, like the weekend. Don't take supplements. And on one of these days, on one of those two days, I personally don't have much protein. I have one very low protein day per week. That that keeps my body more sensitive to it. So for supplements, two days per week, you don't take your supplements. That enough will that that alone will allow you to keep using the same regime for a very long time. You will prevent that habituation. The best example is. Uh, okay, uh, I work for a company called Biotest. Now, Biotest produced what I would define as the best brain supplement ever. It's called brain candy. When I take that, I literally become like 10 times the best version of myself. It's amazing. Seriously, I mean, confident, driven, social, uh, focused, great training. The problem is, I, it felt so, I felt so great that I, I took it for like, 40 days straight when I was in Colorado. So I was there. So every day I would have my brain candy, super productive, always in a good mood. When I came back to Canada, it was about a week until I received my shipment. Honestly, and that's me speaking the truth here. After three days, I wanted to kill myself. The reason is that this product increased dopamine and acetylcholine so much that it becomes super physiological, which I, it's amazing. I feel like Superman. But if I get habituated to that, if I take it for like two weeks straight and I don't take it anymore, my cells need the dopamine because they were habituated to that high level. Now they don't respond to the small amount of dopamine I can produce myself. That's the danger. But if I take brain candy five days on, two days off, I have zero problems. Zero problems. I, I love that. I love that. I've heard that from a few other people as well. The guys from Mind Pump say something similar. Sal Stefano. I've heard others as well saying, you know, look, don't be, don't be this typical bro that feels like, you know, you're going to lose all your gains if you don't, if you don't have, you don't hit your protein number for one day. Actually, take a fast for a day. And you know what? Yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, theoretically, I get it because I understand the benefits of fasting. I get it because of this idea of not becoming overly dependent and breaking that cycle. I do it with caffeine, I do it with some of the supplements like tyrosine, and some mm -hmm. and so forth. But I still have this emotional connection yeah. with the need to not prevent, you know, to prevent, uh, you know, any kind of gain, uh, you know, reduction right so this this idea of low protein days or a day where i might really be low on my calories generally emotionally psychologically there's something that stops me from doing that even though mentally um you know intellectually theoretically i get it and that's just my that's my own shit that's the stuff that i need to work on maybe you try changing your mindset instead of seeing it as like a a, a day that is catabolic or potentially catabolic which it really won't be. If you keep calories like fairly high, if you cut protein, it won't be catabolic, not, not in one day. See it as a priming day because the next day, the day after that, your body will become super responsive to protein. So what do you do to make, to take, to make the most out of it? The day after your low protein day, 
you will train the body part that you want to bring up the most, and you're going to increase protein by 50% on that day. But so, so see the day before, the low-protein day, as a preparation day to get a super anabolic response on the next day. You work your weakness, you, you jack up protein for that day. Now your body is super responsive to protein. And on top of that, you increase protein and you train the muscle need to bring up the most. You're going to get a super anabolic response. See it like that as a day that is required to get a drug-like effect the next day. You know how to sell to me. <laughs> because this, this, this idea of taking time out, like, nah. But if, if you can, that was the whole thing with sleep, Christian. You know what? I just ignored sleep, ignored it, ignored it. I was, you know, I was walking, working a corporate uh, gig, which was high demand. I was very, very good at it. But I had this kind of mental state, which is, you know, I have to crush it to keep being as good as I am. And therefore, I was burning the candle both ends. Sleep was always a four or five hour experience, going to bed completely wired on activity, waking up half dead, but just crushing it through adrenaline. And only once I the penny drops on sleep as in the impact for my gym performance, which at a point was becoming a high motivation for me. I was like, fuck yeah, give me give me all the sleeping tips I can get. I went all in and obsessed about it because I understood the, the kind of anabolic benefit of sleep. And what you've just done there has made me kind of second guess this this idea of taking days out and losing losing gains. It's in, in actual fact, you can reframe it, at least for me, you reframe that really well, man. So I appreciate that. It takes. It took such a long time for me to accept not working out on one day. And I, I was like a, a seven days a week workout kind of guy. Sometimes twice a day. I, I believe that if I don't do that, I don't gain. And when I look at like those jacked dudes who train four days a week, I said, well, it's just genetics. But you know what made me realize that in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter that much is when I when I started giving seminars and. At first, I forced myself to train either before or after the seminar. In both cases, it didn't work well. If I trained before, I would crash midway through the afternoon session. And if I trained afterward, I would have no energy. So I just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to train when I present. I'm going to focus on the quality of my work. And I didn't lose anything. If anything, when I when I got back home, my workout were a lot better and more productive. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough mindset. It's a mindset change. Of course, if you see it as I'm not training, so I'm not gaining anything today, I'm wasting like one seventh of the potential growth days of the week. Of course, you're not going to do it. But if you use it, if you use it as a part of a strategy to increase the anabolic response for one day to correct a weakness, then that's worth it. So you, 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 you prepare the body to rebound by cutting protein way down for one day, but the next day you increase protein by 50% and you increase training volume for that lagging muscle growth. So the whole two-day strategy is a plan to really maximize muscle growth in that one muscle that you need to bring up. Boom, boom. Now, listen, I've got two last questions for you to wrap this up. One of them, actually, both of them have come from people that asked specifically to get these covered. So I just want to make sure that we give we respect these questions. The first question um, is the quick, the quickest one. Acetylcholine, you spoke about uh, the benefits of acetylcholine being around your ability to mimic your ability to move, your kind of dynamicism, um, yeah. some elements attached to kind of intellectual empathy. And I need all of those things, right? I need, I need, I'm, yeah. I'm generally 
quite not sluggish, but you know, I'm not that dynamic type. I'm a one A who who needs more dynamic movement, and therefore I see the benefit. Now I eat a ton of eggs and so forth. I know other people that do the same, but the question that was coming in was, you said that you really can't overdo acetylcholine, and if so, is there is is that one of your recommended supplements, or would you just say just have more eggs or things rich in choline? Well, of course, I mean, foods rich in choline is the first thing. But but just like, uh, well, you remember earlier, I, I talked about tyrosine and acetyl-L-tyrosine. I asked you, are you using acetyl-L-tyrosine or tyrosine? Yeah. It's the same thing with choline and acetylcholine or alpha-GPC, for example. The, uh, the, the alpha-GPC is maybe like five times as efficient at increasing uh, acetylcholine as choline is. Same thing as CDP choline. CDP choline is absorbed a lot more than choline and it's much easier to make into acetylcholine. Now, so I think most people, for most people, a diet rich in choline will likely be enough to have good level of acetylcholine. But I would think that I've noticed that even those who eat lots of eggs and the high choline diet, they do get a benefit from supplementing with alpha-GPC and CDP choline. Uh, now, it's not true, and maybe I, maybe I wasn't precise with that you can't get too much acetylcholine. You can if you rely on adrenaline for energy because the more acetylcholine you have, the less adrenaline you're going to produce. So for, for, for someone who needs more dopamine, that's not going to be a big problem. But for people who rely on adrenaline, increasing acetylcholine too much might be a problem. Uh, but, but it's a case-by-case case thing. But honestly, uh, if you find yourself to having problems with speed, with coordination, maybe with memory, uh, with empathy, even though you are eating eggs and have a high choline diet, I would I would say try supplementing with either acetyl uh, alpha GPC or CDP choline. Great, good, good, concise answer. And then the the last question I've got for you before we leave uh, for today is: so I have a, I have a friend who uh, took your test, came mm -hmm. through as a type three. Now, in all yeah. fairness, he didn't score incredibly. Um, high in type three in comparison to all the rest, he had a reasonably good score across the piece. But I, I anticipated as a type three, he did. He got the score. It kind of seemed to match, and uh, your your test suggested as such. Now, he's he's quite an obsessive character. Once he kind of dials in on something, he wants to learn everything. He listened to mm -hmm. our podcast like three times each. Right, yeah. he's been reading all your stuff, and he, he's loving it. Now, here's the problem. Like mm -hmm. I asked him straight, I said like. He was asking questions about changing his neurotype. And I'm like, what's the, what's the deal here, right? Are you are you not completely satisfied with that answer? <laughs> and he said, look, like, if I'm honest, it sounds like the most, um, there seems, seems to be the most negative connotations attached to type three. Yeah. Uh, you know, the cortisol, the rumination, you know, the, the muscle building issues that they're going to potentially have. And he said, I can relate to those. I can relate to being calm above the water but my my legs going 100 mile an hour under the water uh is i do ruminate i do overthink things i can my brain can be overly stimulated plus he's found some benefit in going keto recently in terms of the rigidity the discipline the ability to lose weight and he's quite enjoyed that he's taken a break from it but he's probably going to get back to it 
But one of the recommendations that you were getting for type threes is like, because you need more breaks on your brain, you should be carving up on most of your meals just to drive more tryptophan up. And he was like, but I don't want to do that. Like, I like the keto thing. I don't necessarily like the fact of a type three. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he was, his main question really is, can you materially change your neurotype um, via nutrition and supplementation? Uh, because he would like to garner the benefits of the other neurotypes. But at the yeah. same time, he also wants to go keto. I mean, has, has he got well, he, he, can, he can go keto. Uh, if a type 3 goes keto, he would need, because really, he probably did not see any downside yet. Because it, it does take a while for a type 3 to have negative effect on a keto, because keto, the main drop, everything is positive, except that it lowers serotonin. Uh, and it keeps the brain amped up even more. So for him, he would need to take something in the evening to get calmed down. So that's where the glycine and magnesium would come in. So, so uh, in the evening, the glycine and magnesium would help him bring the brain down, which would be even higher up when a keto diet. The second drawback is that a keto diet will eventually lower serotonin. Uh, because it, it's low carbs, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you have low carbs, you will favor the absorption and transport of tyrosine over tryptophan, and low tryptophan transport equals low serotonin. So you, you would likely need to supplement with 5-HTP and vitamin B6 to increase serotonin level. On top of that, the glycine will also help because the glycine will help circulating level of serotonin. So if I'm a type three who really wants to do keto, then I would definitely have him do glycine and magnesium twice a day and 5-HTP plus vitamin B6 in the evening, definitely. Otherwise, he, with that, he can do a, a keto diet. Now, as far as changing your neurotype, if it were possible, I would be a type 1B like long for a long time. I, I would have been 1B like three months or three years ago. I mean, you can optimize your brain chemistry for him, increasing serotonin would make him feel less obsessive, for sure. Uh, probably less uh, of an overthinker. But we are born with the brain chemistry we have. Like we have a certain neurotransmitter sensitivity, and it actually comes uh, from early childhood. When the brain first develops, the way we were brought up, the serotoninergic system, dopaminergic system, mostly are, are very heavily. Uh, mostly develop when we are less than one years old. Uh, the way our parents treated us, uh, the way we, we played, the way we were stimulated, for example, plays a big role. So you can change that part of your brain. You can try to optimize a certain system by increasing the level of neurotransmitter. So in this case, you could increase serotonin. And by the more you can increase serotonin, the less it would act like a type three because, okay, Type 3 have a, a very high level of adrenaline because all the dopamine they have, they convert it to adrenaline because they have low serotonin. It's a pyramid. The body wants dopamine activity and serotonin activity to be pretty much equal. If serotonin is way too low compared to dopamine, the body will lower dopamine to, to, to bring it back down to serotonin level, and it lowers dopamine by increasing its conversion to adrenaline. So now we have high adrenaline, low dopamine, low serotonin, which is not a good mix. So by, by increasing serotonin, what you will do is you will actually preserve 
more dopamine, which will give you more motivation, which will give you more confidence, which will give you more happiness, more pleasure in life, and it will decrease adrenaline, which will increase the overthinking and anxious personality. And of course, the increase in serotonin will make you more easily adaptable to different situations, also making it easier to calm the brain down. So if he wants to go keto or simply optimize his neurotype, I would definitely supplement to increase serotonin. So 5-HTP, maybe tryptophan, vitamin B6, and glycine magnesium taurate. That would, would definitely optimize his neurotype, even if he's on a keto diet. Okay. And um, you also said that, they, that they're quite high um, cortisol producers. Is yeah. there anything to directly well, it, manage cortisol? Well, yeah, of course, you can go with but well, the glycine itself will lower cortisol significantly. Okay. Uh, that alone will, will, will go goes mild about doing that. Phosphatidylserine, as I mentioned earlier, can, can also greatly help with that, but it's more, but it's more expensive. Yeah. Uh, but simply increasing serotonin will actually decrease cortisol because the more serotonin you have, the less adrenaline you will produce. The less adrenaline you produce, the less cortisol you're going to have. So that, that alone will help uh, decrease cortisol. So th that would be my, my first my, my strategy. Now, if he can get melatonin, I would actually use small doses of melatonin in the, in the evening, like at 5, at 5 p.m., 7 p.m., and 9 p.m., one milligram. Because melatonin shuts down completely cortisol because the, 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 the circadian rhythm, the, the, the way your body, like it, it knows it's time to sleep. It knows it's time to wake up. It's regulated by your circadian rhythm, especially the, 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 the balance between cortisol and melatonin. Melatonin, when, when it is increased, it, it completely kills cortisol, which completely kills adrenaline, which shuts your brain down. That's why it's given to people who need to sleep or who need to bring their circadian rhythm back to normal after like a, a time zone change or something like that. So one milligram at five, at seven, at eight or nine, uh, that would completely destroy cortisol or shut down cortisol production in the evening, which will shut his brain down, help him recover. In cortisol during the day elevated, it, it, it's fine. You need it to be active, but you certainly don't want it high at night. So as soon as the day is over, one milligram every two hours. Love that. Do you know what? I think that I think this guy is going to love this episode all, all the way throughout. It's just been incredibly insightful. But the fact that we've answered his specific question, I know he's going to be chuffed. Uh, listen, Christian, I've loved today. I, I can't believe we've been speaking for two hours. I could easily carry on for hours. It's just it feels like, a, yeah, I'm constantly tuned into everything you're saying. Now, we do have to call it a day. <laughs> Let's crack on with the rest of our days. Um, I do just want to give you an opportunity to talk through your latest courses. So as far as I'm aware, um, well, the last time we spoke, episode 75, mm -hmm. you deterred people from signing up to your neurotype yeah. courses because you were working on some new videos and some new yeah. content. Do you just want to yeah. quickly talk about what's just recently been released? Yeah, well, I just released a, an updated neurotyping course, which is the actual material I give in in-person seminars. It's it's the exact same material. 
So it's a roughly, if you count all three videos, it's about 12 hours of material. It explains the whole system. So the course number one is the foundation, the scientific foundation of the system. So it explains how all the neurotransmitter works, uh, how to the, the symptoms of high or low activity of each of these systems. And it also explains what each types are, what are the characteristics, and how do you know which one you are. Uh, the course number two talks about uh, assessment. So how do you evaluate someone for his neurotype, the testing you do, uh, what, what questions you ask, what physical tests you can conduct. And then it talks about uh, programming. So how to, how to design training program for hypertrophy, strength, and fat loss. And course number three is what we covered today. It's the nutrition and supplementation approach to neurotype. Lovely. Good stuff. I'm going to make sure I link to that. I think I've got the links already. Um, and on the diet plan stuff, I know you've got some neurotype diet yeah. plan um, available things to purchase. It, you know, is that you know, I know we've covered a hell of a lot over these three episodes, but if someone wants more information uh, or they just want to be spoon fed, excuse the pun, but be spoon fed on how to construct a diet based on a neurotype, are these good resources for them to go about acquiring? Well, of course, they, they are diets and that it, it basically gives you the formula, but it also tells you what are the best options. So, and it, it explains a bit. It's not a book. It's it, it's a diet, but it, it's more than just giving you a, a, a eating plan. There are, you have options, you have supplement recommendation. It explains what each supplement does. So it, it, I don't tell you take that one. It, I just say if you have this and you want to improve that, here are some options and here's what they do. So they, it, I believe in educating people, not just spoon feeding them. So there's always some information on top of the actual plan. Cool. All right. Well, you heard it there, guys. If you want more, then head over to thibarmy.com. Everything we've just spoken about is there, but I'll pro provide some links in the show notes too. Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being gracious with your intellect, your time, and just generally supporting my level of curiosity. I think everyone's going to love this episode. Go enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of your week. And um, I'm going to let you know how the changes I make in my diet, plus my cool. friend. Uh, I'll let you know how he gets on as well, man. But Let's just keep the conversation going, man. I really appreciate you. And next time, let's talk about exercise selection based on body type. That's an awesome topic. Oh, there we go. We've teed it up right here. Yeah. All right, All man. Right. Take care, Christian. All right, take care. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And, of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.